that's fun. How y'all feeling today? Yeah. Are y'all alive? Are you well? You better be. The alternative isn't fun. Ah, God's good, isn't he? Hey, listen, today, um, before you leave the house, make sure you go by one of our children's ministry workers and several of these young people that helped out the last few days for our first annual Vacation Bible School. That was awesome. Yeah, so let's give all these children's ministry workers a hand. They deserve it. They deserve it. And it was a great time, so just make sure you go go kiss one of them on the forehead. Let them know you love them. So, I'm serious. And then, listen, in the foyer, make sure you sign up. Men's retreat, or men's conference, rather, women's conference. Come on, ladies, you know you're excited about that. Um, also, for Growth Track, Growth Track starts next week. That is our next steps. So, if you have never gone through next steps, I highly, highly, highly encourage you to go through this. Um, next week, Next Steps 101 is, um, you know, one of my favorites because it's really my turn to, to uh, speak about the church, about uh, our history, our culture. And, you know, if you ever want to know anything about the church, Next Step 101 next Sunday is your opportunity to, to take part in that. And it really is about taking next steps with the church. I mean, we want... To, to help you just move one step close, closer. And so that's next week. And then the following two weeks um, are everything about you. Uh, uh, next Steps 201, is, uh, it has a personality profile. If you ever wanted to know exactly how I'm wired, um, it'll, help you, it'll help you with that. Maybe you'll uh, figure a thing or two out about um, why you, why you um, operate the way you do. And then there's a spiritual gift survey as a part of that. So not only do you get to discover uh, your own personality types and that type of thing, but you also get to discover your personal giftings. And I think that's extremely important, especially in light of what we've been preaching. We've been talking about uh, this fantastic word, confidence, that, that I believe um, is really important in the world that we live. There's a lot of people that don't have a whole lot of confidence right now. Can you say Amen. You know, I mean, there's questions, questions. Uh, we, we're in one of my least favorite seasons of the year, uh, or of, of every four years especially, we go into these election seasons. And, you know, I mean, you read enough of that stuff, you just might get discouraged and lose confidence. You know, I... I um, I'm on, an, I'm on an iPhone Facebook fast right now. So if, if I'm not responding as quickly as I may have before, you'll, you'll know that I'm, I'm, I'm limiting my Facebook activity to just when I have my computer in front of me. And there's a reason for that. You know, I mean, sometimes you just need to hold up and listen for God. And there are so many voices and so many things that, um, you know, I do know this. I believe that the heart of kings is in the hands of God. That's what the word of the Lord declares to us. And so no matter what, we serve a God who holds all things and we can still have confidence. We can still have confidence. Very powerful word. I think oftentimes we are like Paul. 
And we've talked about this from Acts chapter 27, how that Paul stood on the dock speaking to experienced sailors and he said, if this ship sails, we will not only lose the ship and everything on it, we will lose our lives. That's what he first said. Matter of fact, in that point, I think it's important for us to realize that when Paul boarded that ship, he was fully convinced that not only would there be a shipwreck, but there would be death. And I think there's been a lot of times in our lives that if we're not careful, we can, we can even fall into that same trap. You know, I mean, I know later on, and we're going to get there, later on in the story, Paul gets another word from God. And in that word from God, God said, you know what? You're going to lose the ship, but you're not going to lose a single life. And, and, and things changed. Matter of fact, the apostle Paul's confidence went, went way up at that point because suddenly there was some more clarity to a circumstance, to a storm that I would imagine that didn't make a whole lot of sense to him. I mean, here you are doing what you know to be the will of God. You find yourself arrested and now arrested. You, you appeal to Caesar. You find yourself on your way to Rome. And before you can even board the ship that's going to take you there, you understand and know that the ship is going to sink. And I don't know how you feel. I don't want to be on a sinking ship. You know, I mean, it doesn't seem like the party I want to join up for. I mean, to me, I, I would rather... I would rather be a part of, of um, making the full voyage. You know what I mean? I thought about that a little bit, honestly. I've, you know, I, I've never been on a cruise ship. And I, I thought to myself when I got on that cruise ship that when you get out there and you see no land, then it's a long way away, and you think to yourself, I don't like this lifeboat routine they put us through. You know what I'm saying? Like, like hey... You're going to have a great vacation, but before it starts, let us show you where to go if we're going down. It's like it kind of sets, uh, well, it didn't set me at ease, I'll be honest with you. It didn't set me at ease. I'm standing in that line with all the other people thinking to myself, are we really going to be disorderly if this thing's going down? You know what I mean? Is it really going to be Okay. And even besides that, I mean, if this thing does start going down, it's probably in a storm. Do I really want to be in that on the open ocean? You've got to think about those things. No, you don't. Anyway, we're going to move on. I don't want to be on a sinking ship. But yet Paul knew before he ever got on there that this was going to be the case. And, and, and we find him now in the middle of this storm, this horrific storm that was literally tearing them apart. In the midst of this storm, let's catch up with the story again in Acts 27, verse 21. After they had gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men, you should have taken my advice not to sell from Crete. Then you would have spared yourselves this damage and loss. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. 
So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Nevertheless, we must run aground on some island. You know, I mean, that nevertheless, he probably could have left that out, but think about it for a second. But, you know, but, but, but yet the story reminds us of a very powerful truth concerning Paul's confidence. And we've been talking about that, 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 that first, the, the, the point of confidence in his life that he raised to a new level of confidence by this one statement alone in verse 25, I have faith in God. I have faith in God. But see, my faith isn't in the storm. And, and, and I'll be honest with you, that's, that's a real easy thing to do, to have your faith shift from God to something else, especially when it's something else that seems to be pretty powerful. You know, I mean, I have lived in Oklahoma where the wind comes whistling down the way, I mean, sometimes it ain't just whistling. You know what I mean? You, you live here, you live here long enough, and you're going to have an opportunity for a tornado siren to go off. You know what I'm talking about? You watch these winds, even these straight line winds, this crazy weather we had a couple of weeks ago, that straight line wind. And, and I mean, you look at how powerful that is as, as trees begin to be pushed over and, and all of that. I, you know, I, I was accustomed to storms when I, when I lived in Houston. I was raised in Houston. Many of you know that. Um, God bless Texas. And um, periodically, we have hurricanes come through. If you ever, anybody ever been, everybody been through a hurricane? Raise your hand if you've been through an actual hurricane with me. Here you go. There was one. One? Man, y'all don't know what you're missing. So what, next time they predict one, just get in the car and go. Not. Do not do that. <laughs> you know, uh, I remember one year when I was in high school, one year we, we rode out. See, my dad was true blue, southern Texas, east Texas. My dad just wouldn't run from them. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, on the news they're saying evacuate. And my dad's like, I ain't evacuating nothing. <laughs> We're going to ride this thing out. And I'm like, Dad, don't say we might ought to leave. No, nope, we ain't gonna leave. Ain't Esther never left Rockport. We ain't leaving Houston. That's the way. That's the way he. That's the way he did. My aunt Esther lived in Rockport, Texas, right on the water. I mean, I'm talking about. I'm talking about her house. This old. This just flats down there, and there's a, there, the Rockport. The bay comes in right there, and you could look out from 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 her, you know, back windows and see the see the bay of the Gulf, and and she never ran from a storm. And I'm talking about they'd roll in there and they'd just crawl up in the attic. Well, they were nuts. And I thought my dad was nuts. I'm like, we need to go. We need to get out of here. But there weren't no running from it. He, he wasn't going to do that. I remember when Alicia rolled in, it was kind of a freak storm. Um, Alicia rolled in, and, and instead of losing strength coming on land, right in between Galveston and just, just north of Galveston, Clute, Texas, that area right there. So, I mean, that, that storm just made a beeline right at Houston, and um, our house was just on the north side, and, and we even experienced the eye of that storm. But I'll never forget waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning and that wind doing its thing. You ain't never heard a wind like that. When they talk about 120-mile-an-hour sustained wind um, with gusts up to 145, 
the, the 120 mile an hour sustained wind is the thing that never stops. It's like a fan, like God turned a fan on. It just, it, don't, it doesn't stop. And then they gust up and mowing these trees. We have these big scotch pine trees in our yard that stood about 40 feet tall. And man, you wake up and you hear that. And you hear things beginning to be ripped apart. It's very easy to get faith in the storm. Like this storm, this storm, it could take us down. I have sitting at my house now the Coleman stove that after it was all we went three and a half weeks without electricity in August in Houston after that storm. It took every telephone pole down in a, like a hundred and fifty mile radius. My dad had so much faith that storm. We had a car that was a lemon. He couldn't get him to take it back. It was before lemon lost. And in the middle of that storm, my dad kept going outside moving that car. Y'all catch up with it in a minute. We, we lost over 70 trees on our property, and my dad kept trying to position that car where one of them would hit it. I'm like, Dad, this is crazy. He went, oh, just help me move the car. And we'd drive around trees and park it over. I don't know what he, how he was going to explain the car was in the field. I don't know how he's going to explain that. You know, I, 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 to, I never asked him, Dad, exactly how are we going to explain that to the insurance company that the car was no longer in the driveway, it was in the field? I don't know. That crazy car didn't get hit, but the house got hit. Tree come crashing down across the back of our house. So that was a, my dad and I were out there and he chainsaw trying to cut off because he said, man, if that oak goes in the front and this pine tree is blocking the back, if the oak tree in the front yard hits the front door, we might be trapped in a burning house. And so we had to get out in the middle of that storm with all that wind blowing. I'll never forget it. It was kind of crazy. Hey, listen, this is the way you survive a hurricane. Just go work in it. You know what I'm saying? It just takes your mind off the fact that the whole world is in chaos. You know what I'm saying? And so my dad's got the chainsaw, and he's like, and I'd grab the limb, and I'd just stick it up in the air like this, and it would lift me off the ground, and it would go out across the field, and that's how we got him away from the house. It was crazy. And my dad said, we got to cut a tunnel. Got to cut a tunnel. I ain't running no storm. I ain't running no storm. Cut a tunnel. Move the car. <laughs> that tree missed. Move a car. Move the car. I'm like, Dad, you, you need to try to time it because the way the wind's blowing, it's blowing the tree across the car lane. We've got to park it over here if we want that tree to hit it. It never. We missed every time. We pulled Monopoly money out and was laying bets on which tree would hit the car. That's what you do. It's very easy to start having faith and say, it's ripping stuff apart. And this boat was coming apart. Here's Paul, man. This, this boat was coming apart. And, and here's the thing about Paul's faith that I really want you to get in the, this last day of this series. So I really want you to get this. Here's the thing about Paul's faith I don't think you, you need to forget is that, is that Paul's faith did not take him out of the storm. And see, people miss this because they think, well, if you really had faith, you wouldn't have ever even gotten a storm to begin with. What's wrong with your faith? You know, sometimes God takes us from it. He'll deliver us from it. That we have faith that will deliver us from the storm. But there's another kind of faith to me that is even more valuable. And it is the faith that God gives us to sustain us through the storm. 
I mean, there are many circumstances in my life that I look back on now, and I mean, I was really praying, God, if you know you have the power to take care of this, you can just you can just deliver me from this. You have the power to do that. But yet I realize now that there were some things in my life that that storm was going to help with. There were some burrs that were going to get rubbed off as a result of that circumstance. And and there's a very powerful faith that will work in your life if you'll understand that God doesn't always deliver us from a circumstance, but he will sustain us through them. And this is the kind of faith I believe that Paul had to have because he's already got this word that, that everyone's going to die. He's already got this word that, that the ship's going to come apart. And then he gets a, a better word. I mean, the better word is, is that, okay, you know, nobody's going to die, but you're still going to lose the ship. And, and here's Paul, this great man of God that's having to be sustained through this horrific storm. And, and it's very, very, very important that his faith not shift from God to the storm. And then I talked last week that then he said, I belong to God. I believe that's the 23rd verse. He said, I belong to God. That, that, that not, only, not only does God have the power to take care of me and take care of this storm, but, but I have surrendered my life to God, that he is my Lord. He is not just my Savior, and I have given myself to his Lordship, his supreme authority. And the one who has authority over me also has authority over the storm, and so I can be confident in this storm that God's got this. So we, we talked about last week, and you can, you can grab that, both of those, on, on iTunes and Stitcher if you'd like to hear them. Today I want to I go back and, and cover that final point that not only did Paul say, I have faith in God, and not only did he say, I belong to God, but, but this is a very, very important thing he said. He said, I also serve him. I serve him. See, Paul had to recognize that that. that even the fact that I'm in this storm is a result of my serving God. I'm on, I'm, I'm on mission for him. Matter of fact, uh, I date myself and all of that, but, but you know, it's not just good for the Blues Brothers. There's a new level of confidence when you can stand and say, I'm on a mission from God. I'm on a mission from God. That, 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 that I am here and that no matter what takes place, my life is going to be okay because I'm on a mission from God. Matter of fact, in the 24th verse, if we'll throw that back up there real quick, uh, Paul said that the word to him was, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. God's mission for Paul was bigger than the storm's mission for him. The purpose of God in Paul was bigger than the storm around him. Nothing can shake our confidence when we know that we are on God's mission. I mean, something had to just land inside of his heart when he recognized that there is absolutely no way I'm going to drown today. There is absolutely no way because I'm on a mission from God. I am fulfilling God's plan for my life. And there's something very powerful that takes place in us when we recognize that we are on mission. We call that serve here at Triumph. Serve with excellence. There's something about this mission. And God's mission for you is bigger than any mission that could come against you. 
Matter of fact, Romans 8, 31 says it very plainly. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? It's a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is no one. Listen, no one can stand against you if God is for you. No one can stand against you. List everything that might come up, and God is still bigger. Nothing can really be against us when God is for us. Nothing can stop us when we are walking out God's mission in our life. And I really think that there's a lot of people in the Christian church, there are a lot of people that never really get this. I mean, they... they, they they, they want to be saved, and they're happy that they're saved, but they never really figured this mission part out, that God didn't save you just for you to be the blob. Like, like you know, just there you are. God, God didn't save you for you to, to not fulfill something, that there is a... There is an important thing that could, that could tick in your life if you could ever just realize what is my purpose and how am I accomplishing that purpose in my life. Matter of fact, at the conference this week, uh, Chris Hodges uh, in Birmingham, we went to Birmingham, and Chris Hodges made the comment about felt needs in, in, in human life, and they, they originally had five, and then they, they bumped it to seven, and... and I believe it's either seven or eight now. I'm trying to remember offhand. But, but the top need of, of that, that's been determined by psychologists, the very top need of, of a human being's existence is transcendence. The very top need is transcendence. And what transcendence means is that, is that you are fulfilling a purpose that is bigger than yourself. That the top need, that psychologists have, have figured it out, that, that the thing we need the most in life is to feel like we're making a difference. Feel like we're making a difference. And, and man, when I look at the church and I look at the kingdom of God, there's not a better place on the face of this planet for this to take place in your life. There's not a better place on, on anywhere for you to find that thing where you are fulfilling a purpose that, that, it, that is bigger than you are, that, that steps outside the bounds of your own life, that you just selfishly serve for the betterment of someone else. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that I say around here at Triumph all the time to our dream team. I make the comments that we are investing in eternity in these people's lives, that it's not just fulfilling a function, but it's investing in eternity. When we, when we park someone joyfully, when we help someone into the building, when we, when we smile at someone when they come through the door, shake their hand, when we help them with their children, when, when, we, when we serve in ministries that, 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 that speaks into the life of the next generation. All of these things help us capture this top felt need that's going on in our lives that we just need to make a difference. We need to feel like we need to feel like we're on mission, and God has called us to mission. He has called us to mission. That's why I strongly encourage you to take next steps and take one more step with me. Just take another step with me next week and stay after our second service. We'll feed you pizza, and you can hear me talk for 45 minutes. I'll talk about the church. And man, just take, take that next step with me so you can go to 201 and find out more about yourself and take that next step. Why? So that you can, so that you can be a part Something that the church is doing that's, that's, 
that's really bigger than you are. It's bigger than all of us. There's an amazing level of confidence that comes to someone when they know they're on mission. Years ago, I was at a conference in Houston. Raylene and I were at a conference in Houston, and, and a man spoke at that conference. His name is Joseph Garlington, and um, you know some of you may have heard his name before. He was real big in the Promise Keeper ministry of men back in the 90s and all that, and and, and Joseph Garlington was speaking at this, at this event. And Joseph Garlington is like a real faith guy. You know what I'm saying? And he got to, he got to talking about uh, people who have fear. They live with fear. And then kind of the whole subtotal of his message was overcoming fear and having faith and all that. And, and, and he kind of got on, you know, people are afraid to fly. You know, people have, that's a real phobia. People have a fear of flying. And, and um <laughs> My mom, was, my mom never flew. I mean, I don't know how she knew she was afraid of flying because she was never on an airplane. But, but she says she was you know, afraid of flying. She, and then she got to where she was afraid of me flying. Like, like uh, you know, I'd have to call her from the airport and she'd have to pray this word of faith and security over the airplane. So Garlington said he was flying from somewhere in... And the pilot came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, we are about to experience a horrific thunderstorm. And there's no way we can fly around it. They won't let us. There's no airspace for us to do that. The storm is too big. We'd have to go way off course. And we'd, then we'd have fuel issues and stuff like that. So, uh, folks, we're just going um, to fly right through the heart of this thing. And so I need you to secure all of the things around you. If you have stuff out, please put it up. Get it in the overhead bins. Make sure it's secure. Secure yourself. And this is not going to be fun, and in just a few moments, I may come back and request that you all take crash positions. And, 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 and Joseph Garlington, he said, I'm sitting there, and he said, I'm pretty calm. But he said, this lady sitting next to me just begins to have a panic attack. And he said, finally, we get into the teeth of this storm. And he said, this plane is just dropping. He said, there's these sheer winds. And he said, there were times we just dropped several hundred feet, just like on a roller coaster, just the bottom would come out. The pilots would fight that plane back up. And he said, everything was, he said, overhead compartments were popping open and things were falling out into the floor. And it was just, man, we were just rocking this thing. And he said, the more this went on, the more this lady was agitated. And finally, she reduced herself to just screaming, we're going to die. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. Joseph Garlington said, I reached on, I grabbed her by the arm. And I said, you don't know who I am, but I will tell you with full assurance, there's not a chance this plane's going down with me on it. And he said, she stopped all the hysteria and looked at me and said, and why is that? He said, because I have a very big promise from God in my life that he has yet to fulfill. And I'm going to live to see that happen. So there ain't a chance. This is your lucky day. Because there's not a chance this plane's going down. I'd like to ride with Bishop Joseph Garlington more often on airplanes personally. I've had a question a time or two, let me tell you. 
But the reality of that is this. And I mean, Joseph Gallington looked at us in that conference. He says, if you've got a fear of flying, just get one promise from God and stick it in your pocket and say, plane's going to make it because that hadn't been fulfilled yet in my life. See, that's confidence when you know you're on mission. Paul stands looking at these people and there's this tremendous understanding from him that I must, I must appear before Caesar. Not a chance I'm drowning today. I'm on mission. Think that this rings true in our lives as we even examine the life of Jesus. Here, Jesus comes into the world teaching, preaching, and healing as the kingdom of God was made known on the earth, but then ultimately his mission became that cross. Peter recounted the prophetic words of the psalmist in Acts 2, verse 25. David said about him, talking about Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. Listen, I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You fill me with joy in your presence. Jesus is literally, literally so in tune with the mission. Nothing, nothing could get him down. Nothing could stop him from accomplishing God's purpose. He could endure even the cross. Confidence found in Christ was rooted in the very thing our confidence must be rooted in. That God is with me. I have faith in God that he will not leave me. I belong to God and he is revealing the paths of life to me. I serve God. See, it is in our service that we find the paths of life. Matter of fact, Jesus passed this idea on to us in Luke 9, 23 and 24. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What are you saying? What is your cross? Your cross is your mission. Just like the cross was Christ's mission. Your cross is your mission, whatever that may be. And Jesus is saying, if you want to gain your life, carry your mission do your mission if you want to discover the paths of life find your mission what has God called you to do what has God ordained for you to do in your life for his kingdom purpose Paul said I can't I can't drown because I'm on mission from God as you stand with me know there are people on the sound of my voice that are looking for a path of life today and all I have for you is to tell you the words of Jesus as Jesus declared over us if you want to gain your life you have to lose it to the mission you have to lose your life to the mission whatever that is I mean I know in all of our lives that calling is different one of the worst things you could do is try to compare what God has called you to do with what God has called somebody else to do. 
one of the worst things. That's the most miserable way to pastor if, if you're constantly comparing your church with someone else's church. You, you got to boil it all down to what has God called me to do? Because in my mission, there's life for me. In my mission, there's life for me. See, I think that's really why we take people through next steps as well on the personality side because whatever, whatever you're doing for the kingdom of God should bring life. It should make you feel better about life. <laughs> what is the mission? Several years ago, we took the original church. Very difficult season in our life. My, my father-in-law had pastored that church for 29 years. And... At the end of that 29 years, it was a sort of a confusing time. A very, very, very dark time, very cloudy time. There's a lot of questions. Raylene and I were pastoring Oklahoma City. The church called and asked if we would come and, and consider allowing our church to, our name rather, to be voted on by the church to become the pastor of the church. And, and some of you that are here even right now were a part of that, were a part of that decision that was made. Raylene and I, the night of the boat, sat in our little house that we had rented in Oklahoma City and waited for the phone to ring to find out if we were moving back to the Tulsa area. And ultimately, that phone call came. We looked at each other and said, well, there it is. There it is. We packed our little family up. Baylor was, had just turned three. Boston wasn't even a thought yet, but our little family and we moved back here and didn't have the privilege of what some you know if you get if you get uh, voted into a church that nobody really knows you you kind of get what they call a honeymoon period you know what I'm saying everybody's just excited about you and you're excited about them and it really takes about a year before before the honeymoon to wear off and everybody decide uh-oh what we do but, but but we were so familiar with the church that we didn't we didn't get that we didn't get that. It was like we, we, we faced the fire from service one. First service, we faced the fire. And, and um, it, 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 was, it was kind of taxing a little, you know, because we had so many, there were so many questions. It didn't, you know, most of those questions didn't even revolve around me, but I was the one having to deal with it, you know. And, and it didn't take long, too, for the church to realize that I wasn't him and I had differences, some pretty significant differences. That ultimately led to us taking the church out of a denomination, becoming non-denominational, and found ourselves embroiled yet again in all these questions and the very, you know, we really never did resolve this, and now we're, you know, we're walking into this other thing, and everybody voted and never again, you know, said, let's do this, let's follow the vision, let's follow, you know, and yeah, it was, it, it, it led to some difficult times. Now, I said all that to say this, that, that through the course of all of that, Ever so often, you just kind of get this thought in the back of your head. I would never verbalize it, but it just was ticking, you know. Ever so often, I, I would think something like this. Man, did them people really know what they were doing when they voted me in? I mean, did we even, did we even pray about this? I mean, you know, I mean, I'm trying to think back, you know. I mean, did, did the people choose me to be here or did God? Well... Can y'all understand how you might have a question like that? You know, did, did, because it, you know, it didn't, 
it, the storm. See, it didn't look like what I thought. I thought ministry was supposed to be. It didn't look like that. So I, you know, back, just back in the head, you'd have that question. I'd never verbalized, never, never said it to Raylene, never did that. But um, never forget a night when it was just kind of one of those nights. I was sitting in my office. We had Sunday night church back in those days. And I was sitting in my office after having preached this Sunday night service. And I was just kind of sitting in there by myself. And it was just kind of one of those nights that you got some questions going on in the back of your head. Like, is this really what it's supposed to look like? I mean, is it really supposed to look like this? This is kind of hurtful. We got a man that was here for three months. He told us he would only be here for three months. He was visiting in town. and He was a quirky guy. Big, tall, lanky, big hands. It's a weirdo, really. I mean, he was just a really weird guy. And every so often he would talk with us. He was involved in prayer and stuff, and so we would pray. And every so often he was just kind of being an encouragement. On this particular night, I'm sitting in my office by myself, and and he he opens the door to my office. He takes a step in and he slams it. All right, like he's mad. He just slams the door behind him and he walks up to my desk. And he puts these big old honking hands right in the center of my desk. And he leans across that desk and he screams at me. And these are the words he screams. I'm going to scream it at you not to scare you, so I'm warning you. He says, how do you know it's the will of God for you to be alive? And how in the world do you answer that? You know? And so I'm like, he could tell. I'm like processing, but I, I'm like, you know, and before I could say anything, he leaned in closer and he raised his voice to another level and he went, I ask you, how do you know it's the will of God for you to be alive? By now I realized I got to come up with an answer and I, I thought like this, well, all life comes from God. So I said, well, I believe all life comes from God. Therefore, I know it's the will of God for me to be alive because I'm alive. What I said. And when I said that, he lowered his tone, still leaning in at me. He lowered his tone and he said, How do you know it's the will of God for you to pastor this church? And he stood up, did not give me a chance to answer. He walked across my office, he went out, he slammed the door behind him, and I yelled through the door at him. I yelled the answer. Because just like it's the will of God be to be alive, proven by the fact that I'm alive, if God wants me dead, I'll be dead. I hollered at him. Because I'm pastor in this church. Because if God wants me out, he's a sovereign God. He can take me out. And you know, from that night on, I never questioned that. Oh, we've been through some rough times. And we've been through some worry times. From that moment on, I have always known this is my mission. This is my mission. Good days, bad days, up Sundays, down Sundays, people loving you, one or two people hating you. This is my mission. This is my mission. And when you know 
when you know you're on mission, you can get through anything. And I'm speaking a word over you in your life today that God wants you to be, to know you're on mission. Can I pray with you? Let's pray together. Father, I pray right now that somebody in this house would declare the reality of your power and presence in their life. I'm asking you by the mighty hand of God that you would give us revelation concerning the mission in our life, that we would have confidence and know that we are right in the center of your plan. In Jesus' name, I declare over every life, over every person, the peace of God that passes understanding and the joy of the Lord that gives them strength. Somebody in this house today needs confidence. As you continue to keep your head bowed, if you're here right now and you say, Pastor, I need a fresh start. Maybe you need salvation for the first time, or maybe it's a rededication of that experience. doesn't matter. But if you say, you know what, I'd like a fresh start today, would you just slip your hand up? I'm not going to call you forward. I'm not going to embarrass you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is the only way I know to do it, is that all of us pray together with these that just raise their hand, and let's help them take a next step right now. Let's help them take a next step. Would you pray with me right now? Say, Father, I thank you that you raised Christ from the dead. And right now, I declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. I accept that free gift of salvation and of hope. I thank you for giving me a fresh start today. And I am going to live my life for you as I repent of my sins and as you forgive, I thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen to that. Would you help me out? Let's rejoice with those that just prayed that prayer together. Thank you, Lord. Praise God. I cannot encourage